0: So go ahead and take a deep breath for me because today's episode, we are going deep and we are talking about healing from betrayal, trauma, and sex addiction. This is a topic that I probably should have re-recorded years ago, but I have been talking about so many other things, love addiction and healing and trauma and family and friendships and dating and relationships. But I just posted a bonus episode where I outlined ways for me to work with you as a coach. And in doing that, I did a really small overview of my background and my history of why and how I'm qualified to be a coach. And in me doing that, I omitted one one part of my history for time. And it was actually a really important part of my history. So I mentioned that I treated... I saw women for sex and love addiction, but I specifically said love addiction for years before I transitioned into Black Girls Hill full time as a coach and a teacher. And the way that I got into that is I was seeing couples and men for sex and porn addiction. And I got into that training after going into recovery for sex and love addiction for myself. I said, okay, I need to figure out how to help other people and also help myself. And the institutions that I was going to were more focused on recovery for men. Well, straight men. And there were some extra trainings for gay men, but specifically straight men in cishet relationships and so my practice at first reflected a lot of that. So I would have men who would come in for sex and or porn addiction at the behest of their wives or partners. And I saw a lot of things and I learned a lot of things about treating sex addiction, but also about the impact on their partners and the extreme trauma that happens when you are partner with someone who has a sex and porn addiction. The gaslighting that happens, the manipulation that happens, the pressure from society that you're just not being open-minded enough. So you, you have all that happening from the outside as well. And feeling as if you're losing your mind and feeling so torn between wanting to protect this partnership, wanting to beat the crap out of them, wanting to keep the relationship together, to get back to who you knew this person to be and who you knew the relationship to be, and also losing yourself. Because being in a relationship where there's this type of chronic infidelity and cheating, whether or not there is another physical body in this space is maddening. It gives you real symptoms of PTSD. And so here's what I wanna talk about today. I want to break down in more detail what this type of betrayal trauma looks like. And I want to give you some, some tools and some support and some real information on what to expect If you are partnered with a person who has this type of addiction, I hope to do it with love and with grace because I know many of you have also messaged me that you also deal with your own sex, love, and porn addiction and as someone who identifies as a woman and you want support with it as well. So this is not going to be villainizing this disorder, but I am going to be talking about the real of it. And so I hope that this is helpful for those of you who are currently going through this who have gone through it in the past. And maybe this helps put into words something that you didn't know how to conceptualize, especially if you went through this by yourself and you didn't go to therapy for it. And you had a lot of family members who were trying to blame you for what was happening, or you had a partner that blamed you and you just left feeling broken as if you weren't enough. I hope this puts into words and helps gives you clarity around what may have been happening. And I just hope that you find this helpful. So let's go ahead and jump in. So let's talk about betrayal trauma and why I say that it is like having PTSD. First, let me be clear. It's not like having PTSD. It is having PTSD. We get PTSD after we've gone through a stressful or traumatic experience. And for sure, after we've gone through a prolonged stressful and traumatic experience, which is what happens when you are partnered with, with someone who has a sex or porn addiction. It's consistent betrayal, infidelity, and gaslighting that is hurtful, is emotionally hurtful, is destabilizing, and it is it is demoralizing. So let me be clear. I know that there is a variety of beliefs of folks who are listening to this podcast right now who, who have open relationships or polyamorous relationships or... Would define their relationships as sex positive. And so a partner having other sexual partners, as long as they are consensual, and or using porn and other things is not destructive for your relationship. And so if that is you, that's not who I'm talking to. I believe that every set of adults can decide what is consensual and healthy for you. I am talking to the folks who are wanting and have committed to being in monogamous relationships, And so those things are deal breakers. And in spite of those being deal breakers, you have a partner who is still engaging in these outside relationships. They are still watching porn at work, When you're in the next room, they're sneaking it on their phone. They're hiding it. They're spending lots of money on it. They, uh, it is impacting how they are able to perform with you sexually if they are performing at all. It is hidden behind walls. It is hidden under sofa cushions. It is hidden in in, in extra drives, of course. There are consistent phone numbers that are found, text messages, screenshots people who are showing up at your house, you feeling twinges about ex-coworkers or friends that you wonder if there's something going on, them staying out late, their behavior changing. And at the same time that all of these very deceptive things are happening, what really can throw you through a loop is this is the same person that will cry and beg you real genuine tears do not leave me. I don't know why I'm doing this. I love you. It meant nothing. I can't help myself or I promise it's the last time. It will never happen again. You know everything. I'm not keeping anything from you. This is the last of it. I promise only for you to find something else the next day, if not the next minute or you're holding proof in your hands that it's still going on. And the compassion I have for the folks who deal with this addiction is the same thing that I've said about love addiction and any other type of process behavior that I've talked about here. An addiction is defined by something that's compulsive, that's something that's treated as a priority, but they're also doing it as a way to self-soothe and to heal some type of underlying trauma. Whether they know that it is trauma connected or not, they're engaging in this behavior because they're trying to find some sort of relief, some type of value, some type of connection. And when it's something that is like sex or love or porn that is so about interpersonal relationships and it's all about connection, when you are committed to this person and you're there and you're available, mind, body, spirit for to be that connection and to be that support for them. And they're still going out and doing these things. It's, again, is so demoralizing and it feels so dehumanizing because you're wondering, why am I not enough? Do you really not love me? Do you really hate me that much? Do you really not respect me as much to continue to do these things to me, to do this to our family if you have kids? And you don't know which way to go. I've watched partners and it's very common for partners as you are going through this this maze and you're trying to figure out the truth and you're being told this but this is what's coming out and you're being fed these lies or this information is being omitted to you. You become a detective and you find the screenshots, you find the receipts. You lay it all out. You catch them because you think If I just catch them and if I show them that I'm smarter than them and I got them covered, that they're going to stop, that they're going to figure out they can't get away with it. And in my experience, y'all, and this is just my short experience when I was working with sex addicts, sex and porn addicts and partnerships, their addiction and their compulsive behaviors around this started before you. Their need to have some type of sensory output outside of their bodies started before you. Sometimes the case is that you were not aware of it at all before. Sometimes I find that partners did know, but they try to be open-minded. They maybe started from a place where they didn't really see that there was a problem with it, especially with porn addiction. I've noticed some people will feel as if a little porn is okay until they start to see how much it has dominated and monopolized their relationship, impacted their relationship not only sexually, but emotionally as well, and the trust. And that for their partner is not just a little bit, that a little bit is never enough. And so because... There may have been some open communication about this before. The thought is, well, if I just communicate that this is starting to cross my boundary, that he, she, or them will be able and willing to comply because our relationship is built on real love and mutual respect. And then when that doesn't happen, it is very confusing and even more more devastating and more hurtful. And so I want to point out that this addiction started before you because... With people who are dealing with betrayal trauma, that investigator is a very common role that, that is put on that also mimics feeling as if you were responsible to save them and or to stop them or control them in some way to force them to stop. And it's not done because you want to wear that role. It's a very exhausting role. It is tiring. It's a thankless job. And it also feels like a fruitless job. But you really don't know what else to do. But I want you to know that because that problem started before you, you're also not going to be the solution for it. Even though your love is pure, even though your intentions are pure, even though your patience is unending, that person started that compulsory habit because they need some type of relief that's most likely started with a trauma that you had no connection to and that he, she, or them needs to work through on their own. If they are actually dealing with an addiction, then it doesn't matter how open-minded you are, how kink-friendly you are, how willing you are, how patient you are. Their appetite is not going to be able to be satisfied because they're using the wrong tool to help them heal a wound and a pain that starts very deep. And so I want for you I know it's hard. I want for you as one of the first things I'm going to give you today to release yourself from that responsibility to fix them, to trick them, to overwrite some part of their character flaws by your healing love because this part is not about you. It absolutely affects you, it absolutely affects your kids, it absolutely affects the family dynamics, it absolutely affects the trust. It's not the it's not the same as me saying it doesn't affect you, but what I'm saying is that for this, you are powerless to fix it in some ways. I will tell you what is something that you can do, but for this, I want you to know that you you don't have a magic wand and you can't fix this and even if you did, the person has to be willing to do the work to fix it. Just like what we talk about here, all the things that we talk about here and if you have been in therapy before, You want to get better. You want to feel healed. You want to feel happy. But for you to do that, you got to dig up all this shit sometimes. And you have to look at this real yucky stuff so that you can finally let it go. Your partner will have to do the same. And he, she, or them needs to be willing to do that. And who wants to do that? Sometimes we have to get to a place when we're ready to take that next step and to walk that journey, to see all these demons and shadows that we have been hiding from for so long, to see these truths or what we think are truths that have been in our ears and on our shoulders for probably the majority of our life. You know, we want to kick them off our shoulders, but we have to turn and face them and tell them they have no place here. And doing that and standing up to those voices is terrifying. And we can feel very powerless to that, especially if we've bought into what they've told us about ourselves, if they've told us that we're not good enough, if they've told us that we're not lovable, if they've told us that this is the only way that we can get love and feel secure and feel in control and feel connection, we don't want to give it up even when it's setting the rest of our world on fire. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Hey, uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real, genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. With the crazy heat waves we are experiencing this summer, especially here in Texas, it can be hard to stay fresh while you're out and about. And that's why I've incorporated the Honey Pot's Foaming Wash and Wipes into my daily routine. The Cucumber Aloe Honey Pot Wipes provide a quick refresh when I leave a day of errands and head to a girls' night with friends. If you're heading to an outdoor concert or festival, the Honey Pot Wipes are a must to keep you fresh between the fun. Both the Foaming Wash and Wipes are plant-derived, backed by science, dermatologist-approved, gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic get 25% off your first order from the honeypot.co slash summer that's t-h-e-h-o-n-e-y-p-o-t dot c-o slash summer to get 25% off your first order and join the hive today so here's some symptoms of betrayal trauma that you may experience if you have been in a long-term relationship with someone who is dealing with a sex and porn addiction, or actually probably most addictions, but I'm going to start with this one because this is the area that I have experience in. So betrayal trauma symptoms look like intrusive thoughts and images. So constant reminders of what happened, nightmares, flashbacks, trying to avoid the behavior hypervigilance, so constantly scanning your environment for potential threats, incidents that they may be relapsing, incidents that they have started creating new accounts if it's an online addiction, and looking for new credit card numbers and checking credit reports and all of that, irritability and angry outbursts, insomnia, fearfulness, social withdrawal. So basically, low self-esteem, a consistent losing of yourself, Because you're living in an emotional war zone. You're living in a place that feels unsafe right now. You can feel physical symptoms, tension, headaches, migraines, fatigue, and then you can feel depressed and shameful. You know, everything that I just said, y'all, I know that there are people who haven't experienced this, who are listening to this saying, girl, why are you still with them? And blaming the woman that is in this, right? And so you going through this and knowing what other people are going to say, oftentimes you don't tell anybody. You don't tell anybody because you don't want to look like Boo Boo the Fool. You don't tell anyone because people are going to tell you one or two things. They're going to shame you. You're afraid they're going to tell you one or two things. They're going to shame you. Or they're going to tell you to go back and get even and sit a girl up a thousand. And you're like, that's not the type of lifestyle I want to live myself. And even though there are some people who do, and if that's not in your integrity, if that's not in your current life plan of how you want to live in this world, that even adds more to the shame. Because here you are trying to match fire with fire, thinking that you're going to feel more liberated from it and feel more empowered, but really just feel like crap. So now I have a partner who's not being faithful to me. Now I'm not being faithful. That adds more unto feeling as if you're losing yourself and you're being changed into being a person that you never were before. You could go from being someone who was never paranoid, never jealous, never had to worry about any other girl looking at your man, woman or person And now you have been reduced to someone who can't even trust herself and feels like crap. And this happens to people, again, of all confidence levels, of all stages of life, of all success levels. This type of trauma will wreck you. So you're going through this on your own. You're feeling like, again, like a fool, feeling as if you've stayed too long, but also feeling as if you haven't stayed long enough. Because what if I leave right when he, she or them is actually going to change? They've made these promises before. What if this is finally the time that I'm really going to get my family back? And so it's really hard to start the process of regaining yourself and regaining your self-identity and your confidence because you're going through this alone. And unless you're talking to other people who've gone through it, and when I mean gone through it, I mean gone through it successfully and reclaimed themselves, you can feel at a loss. What I do find happens and what I see in popular culture is that when you have personally experienced this or you've watched other people experience this, and I'll talk specifically around being in communities where you've watched people, watch that partners are never faithful and all they do is they cheat on other people. You will adopt a mentality that says, well, nobody's ever faithful. People are always going to cheat. So you just go along with the game and you're like, well, that's how it is. I'm going to get mine how I get mine. And you can do that and people do do that. But I've said this so many times on this podcast, y'all, we are, we crave and we need emotional safety and we need to feel protected and cared for. And one, it gets tiring having to always have your fucking back on your own. Many of y'all have done that and many of y'all are tired of doing that. And yet you're so afraid because of what you've seen and what you've experienced to let that wall down, to even begin to trust somebody to let you in. But even though you're afraid and even though you've been trying to hold it down, maybe not even trying, you've been holding it down for yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't erase the need and the desire for you to wish that you didn't have to do that. And with that said, you result, resorting to being in relationships where you're just going to have your eye on the prize, whatever that prize is, whatever that looks like for you. There is not enough of those prizes that will erase that need as well. It doesn't matter if you have landed a partner that is financially successful. And so you're like, I'm going to get all the bags. I'm going to get all the connections. I'm going to get the bank account. I might even get the family and the kids that I want, but I'm not going to expect anything from you the parts of your heart that you have to shut off to get there. You know, I watch, I watch women who do that and who have that experience and have that belief system. And they really, 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 really own and walk in. I'm going to be a bad bitch and I don't need anybody else except my own. And then you listen to them talk sometimes and they let it slip. They let it slip how hard that life can be. And I shouldn't even give her that kind of softening language. I should just say how hard that life is to really only be living your life on your own at the end of the day. And how if you could, you would love to have a partner that you could trust and rest and relax into. And I want that for you as well. And when I talk about the patterns that we repeat, y'all, the patterns that may have started before us, sometimes this generational infidelity this generational sex addiction is part of that and that we will find someone who's just like grandpa or just like grandma who was never single and always had somebody coming through just like uncle joe just like daddy just like whoever it may be and despite our best efforts we repeat and find that same person and i just i really want y'all to know that it does not that does not have to be your story It has been your story or it has been the story for the people around you. But instead of you leaning into going along with the game, if you are someone who has not found peace in that, because maybe there are folks listening who are like, I really don't care. I truly do not care. Okay, for the people who do and you have accepted that life, that there will always be someone or something outside of you, but you don't want that to be your normal anymore. I want you to know that instead of you going along to get along in that lifestyle, perhaps we can work on you being better at spotting those red flags when they happen. And or if you there truly were not any red flags, that we get your self-esteem and self-love level up high enough to where when those things show up, you're out. That you don't negotiate with it, that you don't compromise with it that you don't try to fix it, that you don't try to give them the benefit of the doubt, that you don't weigh the scales and say, well, I've already had this amount of time with them and we have these folks, that you see what is happening, you see the reality of it, and that you make a decision from that place versus what you hope things to be. So I wrote a list of three things that I wanted to share with y'all and two of those things I've already kind of interwoven into this. And then the third one is... The thing that you can do if you have been dealing with betrayal trauma with a partner who is addicted to sex. So external partners, maybe the same partner, or usually when it's sex addiction, it is multiple partners. So there may be a main person, but there are usually multiple people, people that you don't know about, and then porn addiction. And there are so many different types of variations in between be it voyeurism and you know cameras exposing themselves all all these types of things and it can I haven't said this yet oh and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to say this earlier yeah I don't think I'm gonna be able to edit this so hopefully my my sex positive folks who may are still listening I hope I hope that this soothes any concerns that you're having especially with what I just said Sex addiction is not the same as having kinks. It is not. Sex addiction is when whatever behaviors you are engaging in are causing clear disruption in the functioning of your daily life, physically, sexually, mentally, financially, spiritually, and you see, you personally see that it is causing danger to your life and it is impossible. You cannot stop. It is compulsive. That is when we look at addictive behaviors. BDSM. So many fetishes that I'm not going to list here because that's not the nature of the podcast topic. You engaging and liking those things, more power to you, whatever. I'm not going to yuck your yum. I'm talking about when it is damaging your life and your safety and the safety of your loved ones, between STDs, between the money you may be spending, you putting your job in danger and engaging in sexual activities with people that literally could make or break your lifestyle. That's when we have to say, okay, when has this shifted from something that was consensual and something was about pleasure for you to something that has become impulsive and reflexive that you cannot stop no matter what the consequences are. But the two things that I wanted to share that I've already mentioned is that their addiction has nothing to do with you, that this addiction, like many other process addictions, are not only just about the dopamine hits and the pleasure, but really there is usually being done because there is a connection to a trigger or multiple triggers. And so they are using these acts to feel some relief and release. And they need more and they need it in certain forms and they have to work through what that looks like for them. And sometimes that has looked like, I will say this too, sometimes that does look like destigmatizing what works for you sexually. I have worked with some people who they came to me saying that they had a sex or porn addiction, but really they didn't. And it was more that they had a lot of religious trauma that made them have a lot of self-hate and self-loathing for their bodies, for sensuality, for sexuality, that they had internalized it as being too much. And they, it was just compounded anytime that they engaged, they felt like it was compulsory and it felt like it was too much. And so they had to unlearn a lot of the messaging that they had around their bodies, around sex, around consensual connection and partnership so that they could actually act in ease and not feel like they were doing things in secret or feeling like they were crossing their own personal boundaries. And so it really is important. I'm going to talk about therapy at the end of this. It really is important that you find the right practitioner that meets your standards and what your belief system is. Because there are so many sex therapists. There are so many sex addiction therapists. There are so many trauma therapists. There are so many different types of therapists that you can go to. And depending on their own model and depending on their own belief system, because therapists are people too, you can go to someone who has raving reviews and they end up traumatizing you more. Not because what they are doing or teaching is necessarily wrong, but because their modality and their Treatment model is opposite of what fits for you as a person. So for example, if I am a religious, more conservative person, and I go to a sex therapist that everything is fine and everything is open and religion is a construct, I don't bring that into the therapy office, but that's kind of what I believe. And I'm coming to them for support, then I can end up feeling very misunderstood Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR wherever you get your podcasts. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it, clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in, and also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman when having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. Good and shamed and my personal boundaries can be pushed if that therapist is not good at noticing when their own personal biases are coming to the office, because again, We are all human and this happens. That's why therapists should have supervisors and consults and people that they talk to about their cases and about people that they're working with because we all have our blind spots, right? And every person that we see, no matter the experience that we have, we have to be very good at reading who they are and what they need and what they want. And if we're not the right fit for them to refer them out. In the same way, if I went to, if I am someone who is, more sexually open as a client, but I also see that I am starting to cross my boundaries or I need to figure this stuff out. And I go to someone who is more vanilla (laughs) as a therapist or believes that relationships should only be between one man and one woman and all that stuff. Like we already know where that's going to go. So you have to find your person who's the right fit. The second thing that I already wove into this podcast episode is that you cannot outmanage your, your partner. You cannot out-trick them. You cannot surveil them enough. You cannot threaten them enough as well, which, may, which is going to lead into the third one. You cannot bully them. You cannot cry and have enough breakdowns in front of them to stop them from doing this because this problem started before you and they have to do the work to fix it. Okay? Now, with all that said, let's talk about the one thing you can do. I said that I saw clients and mostly men before I transitioned to seeing women for love addiction. I saw men, but here's the thing about the men the men there was only one guy who came in that I can remember that came in for porn addiction on his own volition he was He was a Christian guy, and he he was such a great great person. I mean, all my clients are great people, but he came because he just felt like him and porn was crossing the line. And so he came on his own. His wife didn't threaten him or anything. He just wanted to get a handle on it for himself. However, that was one person out of many, many, many. And the men came because their wives were on their way out. And either the wife made the appointment for them or they frantically called and they needed to get in. Now, I'm going to tell you how I did sex addiction therapy and why. And I know that there are most likely other models and beliefs and theories around it as well. So I can only give you my experience. And so you can use this as information for you to find what is the right fit for you or to say, oh, I I would never do that. That would not work for me at all. Or to help you start the search for what you want to do yourself if you're still listening because this is something that's applicable to you now. So the way that I was trained and the way that I did therapy is that when someone, when a partner has a sex addiction, there are three different forms of therapy that happen. There's therapy for the addict with their own individual therapist. There's therapy for the betrayed partner because of all the things that I've talked about already today, as far as the PTSD, the depression, the shame, the losing yourself, the fact that you can't trust this person. You have your own things that you really need support to go through this process, especially while you're waiting to see if this person is actually going to get better. And the mind fact that that is all on its own, even if you have a partner that's so committed, that is scary. So the betrayed has their own individual therapist, and then there's a couple's therapist. And there are three different therapists to avoid contamination. Contamination is not the word that's used, (laughs) but I'm using it here for this podcast. Contamination in that neither party feels as if that therapist is taking one of the other side. That therapist could be the most neutral therapist in the world, but if a therapist is doing their job right, they're going to give you feedback sometimes that can be challenging. And if you're the betrayed partner and you have the couple's therapist that is also serving as your sex-addicted partner's individual therapist, if they give you some feedback during a session about practicing some patients and listening to them talk about their feelings gonna call bullshit and be like you were totally taking their side and you start counting the times that they asked you to stop talking versus the amount of times I asked them to stop talking whether or not it's real or not and it's really gonna be hard to have a neutral place so of course having three different therapists that's not always possible but it is recommended it is also recommended because sex addiction when it's about addiction, because there's infidelity that happens that has nothing to do with sex addiction, that has to do with either miscommunication on one or both sides, about a partner being selfish, about a partner not expressing his, her, or their needs. It could be about so many different reasons, about a relationship that started way before, that this person could have been cheating this whole time, But it's not about sex addiction at all because sex addiction is about trauma. And if it's truly about trauma, this person needs to work it out individually and have their own space to work through their triggers, whether or not they even want to work on it at all. Which leads to why I kind of started off as ominous as I did with saying that the wives were telling the partners that they were out. And if they didn't go to therapy, then they would be leaving. Because what I found is that the majority of men who came to see me, they were not committed to the process, that they were coming to sessions to buy time to tell me what they thought I wanted to hear, but they really weren't going to go and change it on their own. And so I often would end up firing these men and they would want me to lie to their wives or they would want to come and smile and try to charm me and, you know, or play crocodile tears. And you, (laughs) I'm nice and I will listen, but you're not going to waste my time. If y'all been listening to any amount of episodes here for a minute, you know I do not like to have my time wasted and that's also literally is one of the things that they teach you as a therapist in training is that you need to make sure that your clients actually have buy-in. It doesn't matter. I know not all practitioners will do this, which I'm always confused on, but if I have someone who's in front of me, who just wants to sit there just to twiddle their thumbs, I can put somebody else there who actually wants to be there, right? And so I would not work with them. And oftentimes they would end up quitting before I could fire them to y'all, just to be honest, because just the fact that they came to therapy was enough for their wives to start to loosen up on the pressure that they were putting on at home. So I'm going to tell you all two stories before I get back to that. I remember I was dating a guy one time, and this is related. It was related, but not related. I was dating a guy and he had really done some things to disrespect me and, you know, had cut him off, wasn't paying him any mind while he was going off and doing his thing. And while he was doing his thing, your girl was glowing up. Your girl was looking good, rocking good, you know, using her voice, shining as she does. And he caught wind of that. He noticed that. And then he dropped what he was doing on his end. And then he came back around and was really trying to beg. Well, not trying. He begged to get back together. And I was mad because what happened shouldn't have happened. But I saw the tears and I saw the earnestness and I accepted it. Come to find out, he told me this later on, he said, Sheena, I expected to work for you. You let me back in too easy. And I was prepared to work more. And I didn't understand it at the time what he was saying, which actually he said exactly what he meant. But at the time, I knew that he was telling me something important, but it didn't connect to my spirit. But he was basically telling me that I was selling myself short. And in me selling myself short, y'all, that stopped him from, he lost some respect for me. He saw whether or not he had words for this or not, but he saw that I didn't value myself enough. And because I wasn't willing to hold out for the respect and treatment that I deserved, he saw that he did not have to meet that standard. So he didn't. And some of the joy in the chase, or maybe all the joy in the chase, I don't know, was lost in that. Right. And the desire for the relationship or to show up for the relationship decreased. Right. Now we can talk all day about whatever that is supposed to mean. But what he was saying, it, it doesn't even matter, y'all, because what he was saying is true. I deserved so much more. And to make someone prove to me through time, through consistency and through their own volition that they saw the value in me to put in the work on their end to be their best self. So that shit did not happen again. But I was more willing and more focused on, well, let me be nice. Let me give them a chance. Yes, you just did this thing that humiliated me and put me through hell, but okay. And just immediately let them back in. Not realizing that if anybody had taken one of my diamond rings and drug it through the ground and they're like, you know what, Sheena, I am so sorry. This time, if you let me hold it, I promise I won't do it again. I'll be like, bitch, what the f- no, no, you can't hold my ring. Like, you would need to do a whole lot of tap dancing and a whole lot of, you know, skipping around to even look my way, to look, to even see my ring from 20 feet away in the box. Like, ain't no way. And- When you do not hold yourself to that standard, you teach people how to treat you. You teach them that they can come back and forth. And so that person is totally responsible for what they do. They have their own consequences and it is an evidence of their faults and their flaws with how they are treating you. What I'm saying though is you are responsible for who you allow through the gate. Once you see someone... Is treating you as if you are an option. You're the one who gets to decide if they continue to have access to you, not them. You get to decide how long they need to work and prove that things are different, that things have changed. And the thing about therapy and trauma work as I've said multiple times this episode and many times before, is that takes time, consistency, and work. And it takes real work that they have to do on their own. And them going to a few sessions to to just prove that they are doing it to get the gold star from you is a very easy, easy thing to do. What I have found with partners, and not just with people who have had addictions, but also narcissists are really good at doing this too and getting a person back and they're going to go to therapy and do their work, is they will go to two or three sessions. As long as they find a therapist or a person that they can manipulate and either charm or bully and over talk and just say whatever they want to say for 45 minutes before they're out the office, Who uh, find a therapist that's not going to challenge them. If they find a therapist that calls them on their bullshit, then they will say, I don't like them. Or if there's a, if they're a woman, they're just a woman or they're just a man or they're white or they're black. I've seen, I've heard everything, right? Like there's there's always a flaw or they're too far away or they're too expensive or whatever. They'll find a reason not to go. But if they find that right person, they're going to go for a few sessions and then, and then they're going to stop going. Sometimes you find out about it because they tell you, oh, I I couldn't go to session today because, you know, such and such had a game. Our child had a game. So I want to go and show up for them. Or I got a meeting at work that I had to go to. Or there's always a legitimate excuse until it just slowly starts to taper off. Or sometimes you don't know about it. You just assume because they went to three or four sessions that they're still going. And then when you find out that they're not going, they're like, well, you didn't ask me or things got busy, or I think I got what I needed. And then they make it about you and why you don't trust them, why you are asking too many questions or, you know. So the best thing for you to do, the best thing for you to do, and this is what they teach betrayed partners to do as well with a different language, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you, is that you need to raise your standards and decide enough is enough. You need to start... Setting your boundaries and building your life, including if you're married, y'all, including if you have kids. You need to start building that life now. And your partner, if he, she, or them, is really down for the cause and ready to change, he, she, or them, is going to go to therapy. They're going to commit themselves to changing their process. They're going to go 10 toes down for it. Well, actually, no. At first, they're going to be calling your bluff, especially if you are someone who's kind of played this game of chicken before where you said, okay, if you keep doing this, I'm out. If you keep doing this, we're separated. And then maybe you actually did separate, but then you take them back, right? They've seen this before. So they're actually not going to believe that it's actually going to happen. And they're going to call your bluff. Some people are... Conscious of this and they consciously are calling your bluff. Some people are unconscious about this, meaning that they don't know that they're calling your bluff, but they've also given enough gimmies that they kind of just wait it out and they do the right things. And they're kind of looking to you kind of like, mommy, like, is this good enough? Like, what do you think? Like, I'm going to therapy. Like, we need to get you out of mommy mode. This is a grown man, a grown woman, a grown person. They are in charge of their own life. They are char- they are in charge of their own consequences. They are in charge of their own identity. They are in charge of the type of person they want to be. And if they're constantly looking to you for approval, and is this enough? And here's my gold star, what do you think? No, you need to be in this because your life is on fire. Because you having a porn addiction or a sex addiction is affecting your emotions, is affecting your shame, is affecting your work. And if nothing else is affecting your family. So you need to decide what you want to do. And sometimes you will have a partner that as long as you are actually living your life and you are holding all those boundaries and you are actually living life. And I'm trying not to use this phrase, but I'm, I'm going to have to use it y'all because just for brevity, I mean, I'm already at almost an hour. You need to start building your life on your own as if, as if that person is out the door. Sometimes a partner will come and do their own personal work for real and fall into place. And then y'all will have to rebuild your life together. You will have to rebuild trust. Them doing their own personal work is just part of it. There was real betrayal that happened. And so it is a journey to recovery, y'all. And three months is not long enough for their own personal journey for consistency. I'm just going to say that. I would even say six months. I would not I would not even consider a thought of like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe this is real before that, that's just me. Again, I've been out of this for a minute. There are so many books on betrayal trauma. There are so many podcasts on betrayal trauma. There are so many more therapists out there that are talking about betrayal trauma. So take whatever I'm saying and filter it through other people's voices that you love and that you respect and that you feel like are holding true. Go on YouTube, research y'all. Don't don't take my word for this. All I can again is share my experience of what I've seen when it comes to addiction and recovery. In fact, I mean, they talk about with all addictions that you need to really be shooting for a year of sobriety before you make any big changes in your life across the board with all addictions. And so, But that's just me as my suggestion for you as a partner of someone with a sex or porn addiction, because I know that as mad as you are and as hurt as you are and as much as you are in dismay and humiliated and in shame, you've listened to this much of the podcast episode because you you want relief, but you also love this person, too. If you didn't love them, you might be listening and laughing and you might have shut it off by now. But if you're still listening, looking for a next step, it's most likely because there is some love and connection underneath all that. And or maybe because you love them so much, that's why those feelings are so vibrant. But Maybe half partners will do that, like maybe half of the partners will get their shit together and get better for themselves because they do have the fire of the partner leaving behind them. And the difference between this and what you may have done before, all the ultimatums and everything before, is because you were doing it to try to force them to change versus you're doing it because you know you deserve better. Because that diamond ring example I talked about, you realize that you are the diamond. You are the treasure. And you have been allowing yourself to be dragged through the mud. And so instead of you saying, okay, I'm going to take out all this rage onto you, someone I cannot control, I can control me. And I know what I want my story to be. I know what type of life I want my kids to be raised in. I know what type of house I want to be raised in. I got to take ownership for the only person I can control, which is myself. So what are the standards I'm going to raise myself into right now? And if you want to get in line, then these are the standards. These are the expectations. And I'm not negotiating with this anymore. And if you can't do it, that makes me sad because I love you. And if you can, then we'll see if I'm still available when you're here. And that has to be the mindset. And again, some people will come and some people will try And they will try to do the tears and they'll try to be like, you're breaking up the family. Don't you see that this is so hard? And yes, it is so hard. It's probably going to be the hardest thing this person ever has to do. And again, I know there are many of you listening right now who struggle with these things yourself. Sex and porn addiction, which is one of my criticisms of the institution that I got trained at, does not only affect people who identify as men. And there are many women who are struggling with this in silence and they have... Thought that if they engaged more, then maybe they can get some relief, only to find out that what the, the ish they've been trying to scratch again starts deeper and so again sometimes they will try to get on board and then when they see that you're not budging they'll try to the guilt and to shame and maybe they may create a personal crisis that makes you want to swoop in and fix things like you may have done before um, maybe they lose their job because they're looking at poor at work maybe they get somebody pregnant and then to try to get you to fight with them <laughs> because even when you wouldn't talk with them if they would pick a fight with you at least they would get that type of interaction. So they try to do something to try to get you enraged, to get you to be back in the game with them. And you have decided, I'm not doing that anymore. I am choosing peace. I'm choosing happiness. I'm choosing joy. And if you can't bring that, then that's on you. And if you decide you want to have a child with somebody else and pay that child support, brother, in addition to the child support you got over here, then I don't know what to tell you, but... I hope you got the coins for it. Like you have to become, you have to get to a place that you can balance caring for this person, but loving yourself more. You have to. And sometimes they will make it and sometimes they won't y'all. Sometimes they won't. And you're gonna have to, here's the thing. I'm talking all big and bad about this right now. Try to make some light jokes here and there. But this is going to be painful for you as well, which is why you also need to be in therapy. You're going to mourn this relationship five different ways. Mourning the discovery of the addiction. Mourning what it looks like when you, you set these lists of standards and they still continue to go through the addiction. Mourning what it looks like to have to live life on your own when this wasn't what you thought life would be. Mourning what it looks like to be starting this new stage of life at the whatever age you are, with whatever dependents or folks you have around you, what if the reputation that you feel like is affecting on you, especially if y'all are public figures or if y'all have been mentors and leaders in the community, if y'all have been religious figures, if y'all have been relationship goals, especially if this was public, like it's just, it is so hard. And then after all that, after you think you've mourned everything, if it doesn't work out that there's reconciliation, that's something that you want You have to mourn the dissolution all over again. And I just want you to know that this is so painful and I'm so sorry that you're having to go through it, but it it does get better. Again, the only thing that you can choose is inviting people into your life that love you. And unfortunately, what over half of the population can tell us is sometimes the people that we chose and made vows to, who we thought would be able to love us in this way, Maybe we chose incorrectly, and/or things happened that made this relationship emotionally dangerous and unhealthy for us. And you have to choose what's going to be healthy for you, and especially if you have children and dependents as well. One thing I'll say that I didn't say earlier, when it comes to therapy as well, and the process that I learned is when it comes to that discovery process that I mentioned. So. When folks would come in for sex addiction and porn addiction as couples, one thing that was very much pushed is that the betrayed partner would save his, her, or their questions about what happened for the discovery process. And the discovery process, in the way that I was trained, was that the partner would literally go and take a lie detector test There was a long inventory that both the partner filled out and that the person who was the addict filled out about what he, she, or they had done, about what the partner had questions about, about what their concerns were. And then they had the partner go and take a lie detector test uh, tailored to what that inventory and questions were. So, you know, I mentioned drives and everything, you know. It was, was there a drive hidden behind this? And did it entail this? And what about this person? And like literally all the questions were held for that. And then there was a whole session that was dedicated to the discovery, to answering those questions, talking about it, talking about the, whether or not the person was truthful, if they actually ended up telling the truth about something that they had been lying about, and then just processing that and using that. and But the thing about discovery is that discovery did not happen until months into the process because of all the things I've already mentioned the false starts, the guilting, the shaming, the gaslighting, the fact that the betrayed partner is still on a 10 because of her PTSD symptoms. She's been going through so much, or he as well. I shouldn't gender the betrayed partner because I've had sex and porn addicts of all genders that I've treated when I was working as a therapist, but they're still out of 10. And they're still, they still have felt like they've lost so much of themselves, that they have kids working through what that looks like in the family, right? It, it's not a stable place to talk about all this stuff. So that was something that we did. But I want to say that here, and it was a therapeutic tool. It wasn't a gotcha tool. It was used to do with the rebuilding. It was used for the person who was the addict to process where and how the mistruths came into play, what was happening there, what their emotions were like. It goes back to their individual therapist. They talk about it there. You know, it really, really is built to be where one side is not villainized more than the other, even though, of course, it is very painful for the addict because they're getting it from so many different places. But it's painful for everybody. But I'm saying that the reason why I want to share that is... Because as a betrayed person, I just want to say, and it's your choice to continue to do or follow through with the next steps, however you want to see fit. But one of the hardest things for someone who is going through betrayal trauma when they're still currently with an addict is the consistent many discoveries on your own of what's happening, whether or not you're finding it on your own or your partner as a means to build trust. One day they're like, okay, well, I need to tell you something. And then this happened and they tell you and you're appreciative, but it's a gut punch. And then you're like, is that it? And they're like, yeah, that's it. And then the next week they're like, okay, I have something else to tell you. And there's another disclosure. And then the next day there's another one. And it's like this slow, steady drip that you're never sure when it's going to be over, which feeds the PTSD of I, what is going on? And then there's a, a mix between... I feel like I can't even say anything because this is what I was asking for, but it never ends. Like, do I even know this person? How do I actually feel steady and trustworthy? Or you do tell them like, this is why I can't trust you because there's always something else. And then the addict uses that as a reason to not disclose whether or not they're using it because they're trying to do a gotcha thing, especially if the addict is a narcissist or because what I've been alluding to is that this is a trauma response. Right. And so They have been doing things that have definitely hurt you and impacted you and your family. And they've been doing it as a way to self-heal or self-soothe in a very destructive way. And so them disclosing that and then being blasted for it is, is triggering for them. And at the same time, part of their recovery process is having to sit through the consequences of that. When you break trust... You break trust, you know, and if you want to be with someone, you have to pass the betrayal. You have to go through that process while they are learning to rebuild trust, which does look like questions. It does look like them not talking to you like, you know, when you did that, it really hurts my feelings. Like they're not going to talk to you like Susie Homemaker when you have completely humiliated them. And so in my hour and some change of episode has not convinced you otherwise that it would really behoove you to go see a therapist, even if your partner does not want to go, but just to go for your own self and your own safety, emotional safety and healing. I really, 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 really strongly encourage you to do so, that you find someone who that you can trust, that you can speak to in this process. Also, one part that I missed is... In addition to the individual therapy for both sides and a couple's therapist, it is strongly, strongly, strongly suggested that both the person who's a sex addict and the betrayed partner go to their own form of group therapy with whatever they are presenting to therapy for. So for a sex addict to go to a group therapy with other sex addicts and for the betrayed partner to go to group therapy with other betrayed partners. For that support, for you to not feel like you're alone, for them to be able to hold you accountable, for them to be able to love on you, for them to be able to celebrate you. So that is everything, y'all. I have, I think I have drained everything that I know (laughs) to share with you here today. And again, I hope it, I hope it serves as a catalyst As always, take what you need, leave the rest. If it does not apply to you, do not take it. If it does apply to you, take it and use it to go deeper to find the person and the folks that relate the most to you. I want you to know that you are not alone in going through this. Stay away from people who try to blame you for what's going on and try to blame you for the addictive processes of your partner and also who may want you to enable their bad behavior, especially if it doesn't align with you. It is totally okay if what started off with being agreed upon rules in the relationship, one or both of you outgrows it. It's then up to you as a couple to decide with these new terms, if this is something that, you can both stay in. And so couples therapy is great for that. But I think even more so individual therapy is good for you to determine, is this something that I can or want to deal with? And if so, what does this look like for me? All right, I'm going to stop it here before we go another extra hour before I think of something else to share. I am sending you all so much love and compassion for both sides who are going through this right now, for my sex and porn addictive folks, along with my betrayed partners. And I hope you all find the healing and the love and support that you need and that you deserve. That's it for now. I'll see you in our next episode. Take care of yourselves.